invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Luke chapter 1 that we read just a few minutes ago. We're considering, we're continuing, I should say, on our series we just started last week, Getting Ready for Christmas. In 2003 CE, or as we used to say, AD, a young noblewoman, probably about 20 to 25 years old, who had had a baby and was nursing, her name was Perpetua, and she had a female slave by the name of Felicity, and they kept a journal while they were awaiting execution in prison. Following her death, someone, and most believe perhaps it was a deacon in the church that she attended, they preserved her journal and published it and the account of their martyrdom. The name of the journal became The Passion of the Martyrs, Perpetua and Felicity. It really became an early Christian bestseller. What is amazing about that is that if there wasn't the journal, if there was no journal at all, they would have been just considered two more criminals that were executed in the Roman arena like really so many others. On the day they were executed, according to the journal... There were 30,000 spectators there that day in the arena. And as always, they were anticipating that they would have an excellent show that day. And of course, success, as far as the arena was concerned, was always measured by bloodshed. The day's events included two major events, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And in between them, they would sandwich a lunchtime entertainment event that were if you could only be there over lunch you could catch this one and unfortunately perpetua and felicity would be lunchtime entertainment that day the wild animals that they loosed on them included a bear a leopard and a wild bull within minutes both perpetua and felicity were horrifically mauled to death to the cheers of the spectators. But what almost no one knew about at the time when it was going on, that the two Christian women could have avoided execution. You see, Perpetua was the daughter of a nobleman who had money and status, and he had clout. And numerous times her dad had come to her before she was arrested and asked her to denounce Jesus and turn away from this so-called Christianity. But each and every time her father approached her with this request, she refused. The highest-ranking Roman official was the governor of the providence, and his name was Hilarion. Hilarion was a friend of her father, and so she had an audience with him, and the governor, in behest of her father, gave her another last opportunity that she would refuse to follow and have faith in Jesus, but again... She refused. As a result, her husband of a very short time left her and divorced her. She was alone with a child that she had recently had, but she held on to her faith. She didn't have to, but she did. She had a slave by the name of Felicity, and we don't know how. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe Perpetua led her to the Lord, but she also came to become a Christian. And Felicity also could have avoided execution because Crazy enough with all the barbarous, the, the barbaric attitudes and actions of the Romans, they did not allow pregnant women to be in the arena. In fact, most of the time it was men. 
But she had been pregnant, and she was pregnant through her imprisonment. But the journal records that while she was in prison, she prayed this of the Lord. She prayed that she would be able to have her child before the execution day because she longed to walk out with Perpetua, her owner, and give their lives to the Lord. The Lord answered her prayer the night before the scheduled execution. She had her baby. The next morning when she walked in the arena, obviously she was very weak. She still looked very pregnant, and it made the crowd gasp. But within a few minutes, they got over it, and they cheered the animals on. You see, how was it that Perpetua and Felicity, how were they able to refuse to be saved, to be delivered? How was it that she could stand before her father, stand before the governor, lose her husband, and know that in going to the arena that day to lose her life, that she would also leave her just a couple-month-old child behind? How could she do that? How could Felicity, on the other end of the spectrum... How could she go in there knowing that she asked God to have a baby and having that baby the next day choose to be executed? I can tell you why. Because Perpetua did not center her identity in her Roman citizenship. She didn't use it to her advantage. She didn't find that her her identity was in her father's wealth or status or position. She didn't find her identity in all the things that everyone else in her society and culture found them in. She was different because Perpetua found her identity in the Lord and it guided and helped her make every single choice, even her last ones. But on the other end, you have Felicity who had no status, she had no money, she didn't have any people in her network that could get her out of those things. But yet knowing all of that, She didn't find her identity in just being a slave or being poor or being a nobody. She found it in Jesus. And that allowed her to pray a prayer that most people wouldn't even have considered. And that is, Lord, allow me to have this child so that I can walk out with my master and give my life for you. Now, see, that's a different kind of commitment, is it not? You know what both of these women had in common? See, their holistic commitment was possible because they had a holistic connection to Jesus. See, they really were connected to Jesus. And out of that connection in both of their lives to Jesus, it came out with a commitment that we all praise. We all adore it. We think it's fantastic. In fact, we would say not many people would be like that. But in their century, there were thousands like that who were committed and connected to God like that. See, they were able, because of that connection and that level of commitment, to do things that everyone around them in their day and ours would be considered impossible. See, I can tell you this morning, you are not ready for Christmas if you are not holistically committed to Jesus. I mean, every aspect of your life. Let me say it positively. You are ready for Christmas when? When every aspect of your life has been submitted and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. So I want to take a look at another woman like Perpetua, like Felicity, who had that kind of connection, who had that kind of commitment, 
who faced her own impossible situation and responded in like manner because of that connection and that commitment. And you know her. She is Jesus' mother, Mary. So if you're in our text, I want to show you just two things this morning. And that is Mary's, first of all, her connection to God and the overflow of that, Mary's commitment to God. Let's take a look at it. Let me ask the question, who is Mary? Because that's exactly what Luke is doing. Mary's identity, and I want you to listen to this, Mary's identity was rooted in God, hear me, not in other things or in other people. In our day, the question, who am I, is not as simple to answer as it once was. If you check in social media and you go online, you'll find that if you set up an account on a lot of places, you'll have all kinds of options to answer the question, who am I? In fact, on one, you have 71 different options about who you might be, including all kinds of pronouns and phrases that most of us wouldn't understand. What, has beco- what was used to be obvious has become obscure. Identity used to be something that was given to you by your family, by your community, And it was based on facts. But now you can have a designer identity. You can design who you are, tell people, and it can be totally based on how you feel and have nothing to do with reality. For most in our culture, self-commitment is prized most highly because self-connection is the only identity that people have. See, but notice how Luke, can I say in contrast to that? Notice how Luke frames out Mary's identity throughout the text. If you look at your Bible in verses 26, twice in verse 27, once in verse 31, you'll notice that the word name is repeated because Luke is identifying people in the text. In verse 26, it says that they were from a city of Galilee named Nazareth, named Joseph, verse 27. She was going to be married to a man named Joseph. Her name, the virgin's name, was Mary. And then they said, when you do have the son, you will call his name Jesus. The whole text in the opening paragraph is about identities, identities of where Mary came from, identity of what Jesus would be made, her identity, Joseph's identity. These are their names. But then an angel comes, and the Bible very clearly indicates, sent by God, That's what he is. Gabriel, God is my strength. He has been sent by God. And he wants Mary to know at the very outset of his message from God that God does not see Mary primarily through the relationship that she has with other things or other people. Let me show you what I mean. The angel does not address Mary the first time he talks to her as Mary of Galilee. He could have but he didn't. He does not say Mary of Nazareth, although she was, and it was true. He did not talk to her that way. He did not even say Mary just by itself as her name, as he does in verse 30 a few moments later. Mary and her name is mentioned 12 times in the book of Luke. All of them are in the infancy narrative. In chapters 1 and 2, she is not mentioned outside of that in this gospel. And every single time that someone refers to her by name, the name is Mary, except for the first time the angel talks to her. See, he doesn't call her Mary. 
He doesn't refer to her by other places or other people. He does not call her the wife of Joseph, who is the son of David. And that genealogy is crucial because it is telling you who Christ is going to be. He could have, but he didn't. Rather than addressing her as Mary or any of those other things, the angel first and foremost addresses her according to her God connection. Three times in the text, he says that she's been favored. And the word favored is the Greek word for grace. Greetings, verse 28 says. Greetings is, a word, is, a, is the word grace. It's a grace greeting. That's how he starts, the very first word out of his mouth. And then he says in verse 28, O favored one, O divinely graced one by God. God that has given you grace for an important impossible task. And by the way, she's in the long line of people who have been graced by God to do impossible things. Noah found favor with God. Gideon found favor with God. Hannah, David, and there's a replete list of Old Testament characters that when God had an assignment for them that seemed impossible, he would come to them and he would call them by this very graceful name. Oh, favored one, with emotion, the angel says it. And in verse 30, he says, don't be afraid, Mary, here's why. Not because of who you are or where you're from or all the talents and ability, none of those things. You know why? You have found favor with God. She is God's special object of grace. You know, it's interesting. The only other person in the entire Gospel of Luke who has favor with God is Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom and knowledge and favor with God and man. She's in very elite company, is she not? I mean, Jesus and Mary have been favored by God to do seemingly impossible things. And why does the angel go about it this way? Because he wants to tell Mary who she is from a perspective that maybe she hasn't quite considered before. Who is Mary? Well, she is who God says she is. Why does it matter, Pastor Walker? Why does it matter that she sees herself as someone graced by God? Because you must understand what God says who, about who you are if you are going to do what God says he wants you to do. You can't do what he wants you to do, especially if it will seem to you difficult, hard, overwhelming, or impossible. You have to understand who God says you are if you're going to do what God wants you to do. Because Mary of Nazareth could not have brought Jesus into the world. Mary of Galilee could not have brought Jesus in. Mary, the wife of Joseph, she wouldn't have been the one. But see, the favored one, the graced one, the chosen one, oh, she could. That's how she needs to see herself. So let me ask you, who are you this morning? Who are you? What about your connection to God is your identity primarily centered in God or is it in other things and other people? See, I am Lance from Hamilton, Trenton, Bordentown. Maybe my origins, maybe my New Jersey, Eastern, East Coast beginnings. Maybe, oh, you know who I am? I'm a wife. I'm a husband. I'm a graduate of this school. No, this school. See, I'm an employee of this successful company, and here's what I make, and this is who I am. See, no, I am the, the boss of this. I am the owner of that. I am a person of great beauty, talent, 
stature, status, financial well-being. See, who are you? Have you ever stopped and considered that those are very much secondary to the fact of who God says you are? Have you ever thought of yourself as this? Oh, pastor, I've been graced by God. I'm a Christian. I've been chosen by God. I've been helped with God. See, the Lord is with me. That's what matters most about who I am. See, if you are going to do what God says you are to do at your school, young people, you'll never do it with the secondary identities that you have. You'll never live for God. You won't stand up for God when everyone else cusses and tells stories of all their exploits of the weekends and they say this and they downplay their parents' authority and worse and all the things are going... See, you won't be able to stand against that if it's just your identity apart from God. It won't work. If you are going to know who you are and do what God wants you to do at your job... When they want you to put the rainbow on the door, when they want you to compromise on the business trips, if you are going to be what you should be in your marriage, if you are going to do it when you're responding to cancer, if when you face temptations, if you are going to do the things that God wants you to do, you have to know who God says that you are. See, God wanted Mary to know, and he wants you and I to know what he says about who you are. He wants you to consider looking through that lens when he proposes that you should do the impossible for him. See, he wants you to be holistically committed to him because you are holistically connected to him in every aspect. You say, Pastor Walker, that sounds really cool. It sounds really hard. What would it look like? Well, that's point number two in the last section of our text. Not only Mary's connection to God, Mary's commitment to God. And there's a little bit of a framework here, and it makes it easy for us to understand there are three aspects of a holistic commitment to God. And I want you to ask yourself, because I'm going to say it again at the end, I'm not asking you, do you have one or two, but all three of them, because it's holistic. It means all of it, not some of it, not one of them, all of them. Because without having all of them, you will not have the faith of Perpetua, Felicity, or Mary, especially in impossible times. And the framework is marked off for us very nicely by the word behold. Look at your text. If you underline or circle, do that. Verse 31, verse 36, and verse 38. We're going to tackle them one at a time. Verse 31 reads, And behold, two of them are by the angel, one of them is said by Mary. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the verses preceding describe what Jesus will be like. The very first thing that Mary did, because she was completely holistically committed to God, was that Mary surrendered her body to the Lord. That's why it says, behold, you're going to conceive in your womb the first thing Mary had to do was recognize you will not be in control of your body. God will be in control of your body. See, today in our day, in our society, women want to believe that they are in control completely of, your, of their bodies, unequivocally. In fact, the abortionist statement says this, my body, my choice. Why? Because body is everything. Autonomy, apart from God, is everything. 
There's a book that was written just a few years ago, and the title is The Body Project by Joan Broomberg. The opening line is as follows. American girls are in crisis. There is a much greater emphasis on the body as a way, listen, as a way of defining the self than ever before. That would be identity. What she did in the book was she collected diaries from unknown people from 1830 all the way to our present day. She read them all, she compared the information, and she wrote down her conclusions in the book, The Body Project. And this is what she discovered. She says this, and I quote, Girls today grow up believing that good looks, and they're in quotes, rather than good works, are the highest form of female perfection. In the past, she writes, the greater emphasis was internal qualities more than external qualities, but no longer. Now, American girls define themselves, this is their identity, more and more through their bodies. Today, the body has become most girls' primary project. See what they're committed to? They're committed to how they look, not who they are, because they don't have an identity that controls it. Connection to self only breeds and produces commitment to self. And the statistics bear it out. Listen to this. 53% of girls are dissatisfied with their bodies by the age of 13. A lot of girls, and it was a high percentage, begin weight obsession and constant dieting by the age of eight or nine. More than ever before, the answer to the question, who am I, the answer now revolves almost always around the body. But see, Mary was different. Oh, she was countercultural because she was connected to Jesus. See, Mary answered it differently. Her answer didn't revolve around her body. It revolved around her Lord because Mary had surrendered her body to the Lord. You know how I know that? Not just because she accepts in the end. But the Bible says, here's what describes her identity. It doesn't just say she's Mary. She's a virgin named Mary. You know why? Because she did not see her body as something that was completely for sexual, unlimited sexual freedom. Her body was God's first. And then she had planned on giving herself to her husband that she was engaged to, we would say today, and was about to be married to. But she was a virgin. She was sexually pure because from the outset in her life, she had made this, this, heard this decision. See, I don't call the shots when it comes to my body. God does. And virgin is used three times, twice in verse 27, once in verse 34. It is the only time that word is used in all the gospel of Luke. And it wants us to emphasize Mary's moral purity. She was different than the culture that she was in. See, she was different. She was committed to God with her body. It was that connection that said, God, I'll let you come into my womb. I will let Jesus be born through me. I know it's impossible. It sounds crazy, but God, you control my body sexually and conceptually. Our world says... Here's our slogan, my body, my choice. For Mary, it was my body, God's choice. What slogan best describes you? And I'm not just talking to the women this morning. Is it my body, my choice? My body, 
God's choice. Because you know what's behind it, don't you? It's really my life, my choice. That's what's really behind it. Can I tell you this morning, if you're wondering whether your body has been surrendered to God, male or female, if you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, can I tell you honestly, you haven't surrendered your body to God. If you are sexually active before marriage or outside of your marriage, you aren't wholly committed to God. If you are dressing immodestly or provocatively in one way or form or show, to show off your body, you haven't surrendered it to God. See, Mary did, though, and it was the first to be holistically committed to God. You know what? She had to become a BMW. My wife showed me that. BMW Christian, body, mind, and will. It started there with her body. See, if you're going to be that kind of Christian, if you're going to be a perpetual Felicity Mary type of believer, it starts with you surrendering your body in its entirety and all the choices about it to God. But that wasn't all. Mary also surrendered her mind to the Lord. Verses 34 through 37. The second behold reads like this. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, overshadow you, just like at creation when God overshadowed the darkness. And it says, And behold, verse 36, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived. Think through this, Mary. Think about what I can do. Think about what I'm asking you to do because I've already done something impossible in Elizabeth. See, she starts with a question. And you might say, Pastor Walker, if you want me to be holistically, holistically given over to God, I got questions. We all would and we do. See, Zacharias, earlier in verse 18, he asked a question too because Elizabeth was his wife. How are we gonna, we're old, we're old, how are we going to have a child? But he says, how shall I know this? See, he was doubting if God was really could do it, and so he wanted confirmation. How shall I know this? Show me something. But that's not the question Mary raises. In contrast to Zacharias, she says in verse 34, how will this be? No, she does not say, how can this be? She says, I don't need confirmation, but I wouldn't mind some explanation. How will this be? How is it going to come to pass? See, there's nothing wrong in impossible situations with asking God questions. As long as those questions are rooted in faith and obedience. See, Mary was a thinker. She was. Verse 29 says that when the angel gave her the greeting, look at the text, verse 29. She was troubled by the saying and she tried to discern she tried what kind of greeting? What was he saying? What did it mean? The word discern means to dialogue. She's going back. Have you ever done this? You're going back and forth in your mind. Oh, I know this, but if this happens, I'm going to do this. She's thinking about it. The word means to reason. It means to think about it, think it through. She's thinking about all the ramifications about what the, the angel is saying to her. Why would God want this from me? What is he trying to say? She didn't understand it, but she believed it. It's like Abraham. You remember what the Bible says that Abraham told Isaac, the son of promise, the only son he was getting, that you need to sacrifice him. Abraham did not understand it. Read Hebrews eleven nineteen. It says, and he considered that what God had asked him to do, how can Abraham 
die and the promises of God come true. He has to be alive. This is the only son I'm getting. And if he's dead, God is a liar. So you know what he came up with? You know what he thought? God must gonna be resur- he must resurrect Isaac. Now, can I tell you this? That's crazy because there'd never been a resurrection. At that point, no one had ever been raised from the dead. Where did he come up with it? He thought through God and who he was and what his word said. Mary is always in the infancy narrative. This is what it says, pondering this. She pondered this in her heart. She kept this in her heart. And throughout the birth narrative, she's deliberating. She's thinking. The Bible says she's guarding or storing. She's putting things in her She's mauling it over. She doesn't just get, become a believer and then turn her mind off. That's not what Christians do. Christians are thinkers, theological thinkers, God-centered thinkers. And when we come to impossible situations, we may not know how to put all the puzzle pieces together. I have talked with countless people who have loved ones die and they don't understand why. They don't know why this happened. Why did it happen now? Why did it happen at all? Why did it happen this way? Can I tell you, if you're waiting for God to give you all the explanations, it's going to be a long wait. But that doesn't mean we don't question, we don't think through the pages of Scripture to see what God is trying to do for his glory. And although Mary at times could not put all the pieces together, she still believed. The last words in this little piece of our text, the angel says, here's why you should believe, Mary. Ready? Verse 37, and I'm going to give you the original language, how it says, literally, Because not impossible with God, every word. That is so crucial. You know, Mary got thought about it in her mind, and that sealed it for her. She thought about the words of the angel that had been sent from God, and she says, I don't get every word. I don't understand every word. I don't know how this is going to happen, but here's what I, I still believe every word. You know how I know that? Because verse 38 says... Be it unto me according to your rhema, your word. And there's a word that means generic words, and there's a word in the Greek that means very specific word about a very specific thing, and that is the one used in this text. God, I don't understand the impossible situations you put me into and why you've done it, but I trust you. Oh, see, that's a mind that's been surrendered to God, thinking through issues and coming to the conclusions, not because I don't understand it, therefore I'm turning my back on it all. I'm not getting away from God or the church. I'm not throwing in the towel and saying this is over. No, I'm thinking through it. But when all the day is settled, listen, I still trust you, God. See, tell God this morning, God, you don't have to give me all the explanations. You don't have to give me all the details. God, I'm thinking about it through the scriptures and what it says about suffering and the purposes for it and why you do it. And I may not still understand. Job never knew that Satan was involved like that. He never knew any of those conversations. But he still trusted. I'll see. Incomplete explanations should not mean that we have incomplete commitment. We can still be completely and holistically committed to God even though we have this and nothing more. Because I tell you this, this is enough. Mary was holistically committed to God because she was holistically connected to God. And she had surrendered her body to him. She had surrendered her mind to him. 
And lastly, she had surrendered her will to him. That is the last behold. Verse 38 reads, And Mary said, now this is in response to the angels to beholds. How will she respond when God says, I control your body, not you? Will she control? She's already had feelings. She was troubled by it. How will she control? Well, how will her mind think? You can see it in her will, verse 38. And Mary said, behold. I love that. You know why? Because the text begins with God telling Mary who you are. Begins that way. And the text ends with Mary telling God, this is who I choose to be. You see that? God, you said I'm graced. And you know what my response to, to God? I believe and accept that identity. Let me show you what it looks like when someone accepts that you are graced by God for a difficult life and an impossible task. You say this, behold, I am the Lord's slave. That is the word doulos. See, to find favor with God today in our health and wealth culture, I found favor with God. I'm going to get that other kind of BMW. I'm going to get that million dollars. I'm going to get that retirement plan. I'm going to have this and have good health, live a long life, and most everything in life is going to go my way. See, not for Mary. To be favored by God, she accepted this, that it meant submission, and it meant that a lot of things, in fact, maybe most things, would go wrong. But she accepted it. Listen to her voice of joy in the form of a song. A few verses later in the Magnificat, in verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his slave. See, you know why I'm totally committed to God? Not because he, did, get, doesn't get, he gives me impossible tasks. Not because everything is going to turn out the way I thought it was. Because he's looked on me. <laughs> what a perspective. How do you go in the arena, Perpetua? How do you say no to your dad? How do you say no to the governor? How do you say no to keep living? Uh, when there is something that you find your identity in that can change you like nothing else. He looked on me. My humble estate. See, I'm a nobody and I know it. But I'm his nobody. Oh, she was holistically, she gave every part of her life not just her body, not just her mind, but now her will. She goes, I'll do it. Be it to me, because I am your slave. And by the way, she's in a culture that slaves have no rights. She has no rights. And she says, spiritually speaking, Lord, I'll be that for you. You want to bring Jesus into the world? I'll be the graced one. I'll be the favored one. But notice she says, I rejoice to do it in the Magnificat. She didn't do it through gritty. All right, Pastor Walker, I get it. God, take over if you have to. Just don't make it too hard. Oh, she didn't do it with gritted teeth. No, she surrendered to God joyfully. Now watch, and I'll close. But she didn't know what the ramifications of it would be. Most likely, Joseph would divorce her, and he would have if it wasn't for the angel. Parents would abandon her. The city she lived in might stone her. She would be enduring lifelong ridicule and would completely lose her reputation as a godly, righteous woman. How do you do that? You don't think Mary had plans? She did. You know she did. 
You don't think she had dreams with Joseph that she was going to have kids and settle down and everything? You don't think she thought about her future and what her life would be like? I'm sure she did. But she did not, she not, the only thing she knew now was that none of that would probably be true. But in spite of all that, she said, God, you take it all. I want to give you everything. You know what I'm afraid of, and I hope you are too? I don't want to get to the end of the, my life and say this. I wish I would have given God all. Oh, God, I wish I would have... I made so many mistakes with my body. You know what, Lord? My thinking was so worldly and skewed about all the... You know what, God? I wouldn't do it. I knew what you wanted me to do. I knew I should never have married. I knew I should have never had that friendship. I knew I should have never made that choice or that purchase. I, I just didn't give you all. O little town of Bethlehem, the verse says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in. Listen, be born in us today. You know, in a sense, Mary's story is our story. Because Jesus wasn't just born in Mary the songwriter says he could be born in you. And if you're going to be ready for Christ at Christmas, not just celebrating Christ being born in Mary, but born in me, you have to be holistically committed to God because you have a holistic connection to God. Do you have that? Is he Lord of your body, your mind, and your will? If not, you're not really ready for Christmas yet, but you can be. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. There might be some here this morning who say, Pastor Walker, I don't have anywhere close to that kind of commitment. I would not have prayed the prayer of Felicity prayed. I would not have gone through the horrible death. I would not have made the choices that Mary makes. I'm not making them. And I've come to the realization this morning, it's because I'm not connected to God. See, the connection produces the commitment. And without the connection, you won't even understand those choices, much less emulate them. But maybe you're here this morning in the quietness of this moment, and the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God. You know what he's saying? He wants you to make the connection. He wants you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, to have him be born in you. We might even say born again. To put your faith and trust that he died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins. See, if you don't have the connection, you'll never have the commitment. You say, Pastor Walker, that's where I am this morning. I need to start with a connection to Jesus to put my faith in him. Please pray for me that I might know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you do that in the main floor of the balcony with no one looking? Just put your hand up. Allow me to see it, and I'll pray for you as we end the service today. Anyone like that? Real quickly. Anyone? Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, I have the connection. Oh, but it isn't holistic. There is a lot of wavering when it comes to one or more of those three areas in my commitment to Jesus. I really don't think he is, I really don't think I've surrendered my body fully to him. It doesn't, his control of my body doesn't guide my decisions of what I do with it. Morally, and in tons of other ways. 
Maybe it's the mind saying, you know what, here's what I think. I think about things through a political lens. I think about things through a worldly lens. I think of things through about a financial lens. I think about, see, but I don't think theologically. I don't think through the Bible and what it says. And you know what? I've never surrendered my thinking, my frame of reference to God. I need to. I really need to. Maybe it's your will. You might say, Pastor Walker, I'm a Christian, but I'm pretty stubborn. I want to do what I want to do. I want to date who I want to, marry who I want to. I want to do my thing for my reasons. I really just need to submit my life to Jesus. I want holistically to be committed to him. He deserves that. See, Mary wasn't the only one who had become a slave to do God's will. Her son would too. He took on the form of a slave and he died a cross death for us. Now, will you follow in those steps? Pastor Walker, I'm a Christian. I have the connection. But there is some problems I haven't surrendered in one or more of those areas. Please pray for me that I would give my whole self, all of it to God. Would you slip your hand up and I'll pray for you? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Ah, Father, you've seen the hands of believers this morning. Maybe not BMW. Maybe they left the B or one of the letters out. Father, I pray that as you've convicted them from your spirit and word today, that they would move into action to make the changes in their life in, that, in those areas that they know about, that our connection might result in a commitment that honors you, like Perpetua, Felicity, and Mary, that you might be exalted through us. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.